Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy 40th birthday! Hello and welcome to episode 40. Yes, if you're marking your scorecards now, we've reached the big 4-0 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there's also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's time for another afternoon recording. And after doing some scouting for me last week, Cole is firmly back in the saddle. So, Cole, how have things been with you, mate? Yeah, really good, Dan. Um, good weekend of Premier League for us to discuss, so looking forward to this. Yeah, it's not really a celebration of sorts. I've not done anything special for the big 4 It's just going to be just the same as every other episode. But don't go anywhere, because before we do all that, I'll do some social media bits first. I was getting into the abyss and all that. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can, of course, find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool, I hear you ask? It's the company behind the new game, Last Man Standing, one which is free to enter. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account. I don't think there's a prize by open at the moment because I've been hitting the end of the season. But, you know... Oh, just be aware of it, because next season we'll be rolling back again. So, you won't want to miss out on the next season, because like I always say, the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the top of the table once again. More twists and turns. Well, to be fair, actually, I think the status quo is as you were, because of obviously both teams won. But there was certainly a bit of jeopardy for an hour or two as City went back to the top of the table. More on that in a bit. But, Carl, we keep saying... With every question that Liverpool have asked, they then go and answer it perfectly. Was the defeat that Chelsea suffered on Sunday, was that the final hurdle that Liverpool had to clear for them to now go on and win the title? Um, I'm not so sure, Dan. I think that obviously was a big hurdle for them to clear because that on paper you'd sit there and go, that was probably their most difficult game. But I think 
Liverpool still have two games. I can see they might, you know, you could look at and go, mm, they could be tricky. And that's Newcastle and Wolves. You know, we've seen this year Wolves um, and no pushovers, especially against the bigger sides. Um, and you wouldn't put it past, well, I certainly wouldn't put it past Wolves maybe going and causing an upset um, at Anfield. You know, they've done it to some big teams already. So I think, obviously, the Chelsea game was the probably the biggest one. But I still think there's two games where I think Man City, if they're looking at Liverpool's fixtures, might go, hmm, maybe there's two teams there that could do us a favour and, and stop Liverpool getting three points. And, and I think the Wolves will be the hardest game left. And then, obviously, Newcastle won't be no pushover either. Um, outside of that, then I don't see anybody stopping Liverpool in their remaining games. Um, I, I, you know, I think they'll win those comfortably. But those two games, I think, could be real, real pressure tests um, for, for Liverpool. And if they then, obviously, get through those, then it, it's all down to what City do. Well, exactly. This is going to be my next question. Because, obviously, Liverpool have played a game more. But City have an absolutely huge... what? Eight days in front of them. You know, you've got the Champions League Wednesday night. Even that aside, you've then got Spurs in the league and then Man United. So can you only really say, or get a better idea at least, of where the Premier League title will end up once those two games are out of the way? Because I think then, if City do get six points, they are in the driving seat. You know, all games equal, they're in front. If they don't get six points, it's advantage Liverpool. So we're sort of, we're trying to sort of guess from each week to each week. But I think we'll have a real better idea once those two massive games are then out of the way. Yeah, I think obviously City, the next hurdle is um, obviously Spurs at the weekend. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, <clears throat> that would be a difficult one because obviously if if Spurs get the number in the midweek in the Champions League, then you could think Poch may, fight, may have found a system to kind of cause City some problems. Um, and obviously for City, the fixtures start piling up and the tiredness kicks in. Oh, yes, they've got a good squad that they can rotate. Um but right now, it's not about rotation. You need to put those your best 11 out on the pitch to get the results. Um, I think City... I think City will win those two games. I think they'll beat us, um, and then I think they'll beat United. It's going to be quite funny if United man manage to do Liverpool a favour, because I'm sure most United supporters are sitting there now thinking they're not sure what they want to happen. Um, do they want to get one over their local rivals, or do they actually want to stop Liverpool winning the title? And probably this year, they'll be glad just to get away with a defeat against City. Um, so, yeah, I, I think City will beat both of those. I just see City pipping this title. Because um, I, I, you could see possibly neither team now losing till the end of the season and winning all their games, and at that point it will just see City pip Liverpool by that one point. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's how it's going to pan out. Really, I think Liverpool will literally just run out of games. That extra game they've played is going to catch up with them eventually. You know, you can keep winning every time City win, but that extra game is going to be their undoing. But you know, we, like we always say in the Premier League, there's always a twist or a turn somewhere. So don't be too surprised. Yeah, put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised now Cardiff will be the team that go and upset Liverpool. Well, you, you don't know, do you? Because the one team that you think you wouldn't see causing a surprise and they'll be the ones who go and, and cause the upset when no one's thinking it'll be them. Well, I mean, let's take, um, well, tonight, isn't it? Brighton versus Cardiff. If Cardiff yeah. win that game, their sort of hopes of staying up are... You know, they're still up against it, but they're increased. And that will give them some belief going into to Sunday's clash. You know, for each of those, was it five games they have left? Or was it maybe even four? It's just, you know, every game is cup final, to use a cliche. So if they lose to Brighton, then Liverpool will be rubbing their hands and thinking, yeah, don't worry, no problems. But if they beat Brighton, 
then they're going to be really up for it. And that's not going to be quite as easy as first thought. No, because uh, let's face it, Cardiff this year haven't been easy to beat as such. Um, although they're where they are, they set up well, they know their jobs. Um, and, you know, they're one of those sides that they can make it really difficult for you. Um, and But like, as you say, I think a lot will depend on that result tonight. You know, if Brighton get a big win tonight, possibly, that then should really, in theory, see Brighton, hopefully they'll feel safe at least or push them right near the safety mark. Then obviously that will just demoralise Cardiff that little bit more. Um, but if Cardiff can go to Brighton and get a result, um, and like as you say, if they if they've got a chance of safety, then I can see that Cardiff Liverpool game they will be well up for it. And that's not obviously Liverpool at this moment in time don't want to come up against teams like that um, because you know they just want as easy a ride as possible in. So I think Liverpool will be looking and hoping Brighton can really cause Cardiff some damage tonight and and lower the morale a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if you're a team gunning for the title at this point of the season, you want to be playing teams like between 10th and 14th, don't you? You know, teams got absolutely yeah. nothing to play for. All yeah, no beach. relegation yeah, exactly. team. Yeah, you just, just want, want a, nice, all out of the way. a nice cluster of mid-table fixtures, but unfortunately, the fixture appears <laughs> not that kind. But if we go back to Sunday, Liverpool-Chelsea, decent enough game, I thought. You know, not quite the um, hyperbole that was served up beforehand, but they never really are with Sky games. But, you know, decent enough. And I think... The feeling of tension with Liverpool around the ground is always there when they're not winning. And at 0-0, you could feel it was getting a little bit you know, edgy. First half, you thought, oh, is this going to go their way? Sadio Mane opened the scoring. He'll get the plaudits. But I thought Jordan Henderson's contribution overall was um, very good throughout the 90 minutes. He's a funny one, Henderson, isn't he? Do you think there's another level that he can kick on to? You know, is there more of a player in him? Because he sort of has these sort of good games, you know, a bit too few often to really be, you know, in a, an upper calibre of player. So what does he do or can he do anything to sort of then kick on? Yeah, I'm not so sure there's much left now, um, much more that you can see from him. I think what you get with Jordan Henderson is what he is. You know, he's a fully committed, uh, he'll run He'll run all day for you, um, he'll keep the ball ticking over nicely. But I'm not sure now whether Liverpool will see any more of him other than that. Um, I did see there were some discussions about whether he'd still be around there next season, given the way that obviously Liverpool might look to progress that squad. Um, and I, I think he will be. I think he'll still be at Liverpool next year. But if they make some you know, activity in the summer and bring some players in, he could just find himself ending up becoming a bit more of a squad player and rotation where he doesn't see as many games as he has maybe this year or previous years. But, you know, he's a good, solid player. Henderson, I just don't think he'll probably develop any more than he has now. Um, you know, it, it is what it is, I think, with him. But again, he's still one of those players you'd like to have in your squad because he is someone that can come in and you know you can rely on him to do what he needs and he won't let the team down. So I think next year you might we might see him just become more of a squad rotation player um, and get a few odd games here and there. But let's face it, he's been a great servant for him and if he's part of that team that helps him bring the title home, it will become a legend in Liverpool folklore. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a very fair assessment. I think, you know, even teams gunning for titles, they need steady pairs of hands like that. So I think there's no there's no shame in that. Everyone's got a role to play. And if he can play that role and sort of kick him on, you know, in these next few weeks, then, like you say, he'll, he'll yeah, go down. Like, a bit like Milner, isn't he, yeah, really? Exactly, you know, yeah. there's nothing special. You're not going to get nothing flashy. But if you need so needed someone to come in and play right back for a game, you know Milner will give you everything and do a solid job and get you through one of those games just, you know, with a makeshift right back. Um, and as you say, every squad needs some of those players. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with having some of them. You know, they're... 
they're a godsend, some of those players in, in the squad. Someone who had little to laugh about is Gonzalo Higuain. It looks like he's going to join the illustrious lust of centre-forwards who have joined, I guess, the Stamford Bridge graveyard. What is it about that particular position and Chelsea? Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it, Dan? They bring in some players with great pass and, and calibre that you kind of look at and go, oh, yeah, that's a real decent signing. Um, but then it just doesn't seem to work for them. I mean... He's looked off the pace, hasn't he, since he's come. You know, I, I do know at the time when they got him, you know, we had Kane out injured for what looked like a spell. And I know there was lots of Spurs fans saying, well, hold on a minute, couldn't we have gone for someone like him? But you actually look now and think, I'm not really sure he would have been a kind of potch player because he doesn't look like he's got the work rate in him. Um, he kind of looks a little lethargic. And I know Chelsea supporters who really haven't been impressed with him since he's come. Um, um, and every time he gets a chance, you can just see that he, he doesn't look confident. Um, and it is, isn't it? Chelsea do buy these strikers where you think, well, this bloke should be a real big player for them. And it just doesn't work out, you know. And, and it's really strange. I don't really understand why, because that is a side that create chances. And if you're a striker going to Chelsea, you should be feeling confident. You'll get enough chances to score enough goals and impress. But just not happening for him at all, mate. I mean, you could list, I don't know, maybe even five or six, I'm thinking like Kesman going back to the start of the Chelsea sort of new era. Yeah. Shevchenko. Shevchenko, Torres, yeah. Torres, even, yeah. Even Morata. Do you know what I mean? Higuain. Do you know what yeah. I mean? These are five, you know, at their time, really lethal finishers and they just go to Chelsea and they're just absolutely nothing, aren't they? It's, it's so strange. And like you say, it, it's really weird, isn't it? Because, like I say, Chelsea over the years have been a side always fighting for a titles and creating lots of chances. Crespo, so you really think Falcao, that's a... Yeah, more, I mean, do you know what I mean? Incredible. As you say, you're a massive list, isn't there? A massive, massive list of real top quality strikers that you just go... Why has it not worked there for them? Because you're in a good side that create chances, play good football. The majority of games Chelsea play, they'll have the majority of possession. So you'd think it should be a striker's dream. But yeah, for some reason, they just can't seem to find a front man who settles and scores lots of goals for them. You know, Drogba was the only one that you kind of go, well, it worked for him, but it hasn't seemed to work for those others. Yeah, exactly. Drogba's like the anomaly, really. Is he? He's just the only one that actually stands out. You could say he's had a, well, a good, illustrious career at Chelsea. The rest have all been fleeting, sort of, well, just half standard and just no good for the, uh, the quality that they're meant to be providing. As for Chelsea, though, does that defeat make their Champions League hopes for next season, certainly the route via the top four, much more difficult now? I mean, it's a bit early to start throwing games, but the fact they played one more than the teams around them. Does winning the Europa League look like the more desirable route at this point of the season? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I kind of think now if you're Chelsea, you know, obviously the top four is still a possibility via the league. But I think if you look at that Europa League competition, then I, I honestly believe that is their best chance of saying, do you know what, we've got, you know, possibly, what is it now, maybe four more, four more games to possibly get to the final and then win it. And, and I think the calibre of competition left in there, I think Chelsea are one of the favourites, along with possibly Arsenal now. Um, but I, I would kind of feel Chelsea would have Arsenal's number in a one-off cup final game. Um, so I do think that is possibly the way Chelsea will get into the Champions League by winning that Europa League. Um, it's not dead in the league by any means. Um, but it, I think Chelsea are just a real strange side that they can't really throw two or three good performances together. They kind of have one good 
performance, then it's followed by a real mediocre performance, then a good performance, then a poor performance. Um, and they just haven't been able to find any consistency this year. Um, and I think there's a real interesting summer coming for Chelsea because I don't know whether Sarri will be there next year, to be honest. I don't know whether... It might just be a case of, well, thanks, we don't really think it's worked the way we wanted it to. Um, obviously, they've got the transfer ban. You could see Hazard leaving, and Chelsea could have a real, real tough season next season now. I'll tell you what would be an interesting scenario is if Tottenham and Man United finish in the top four, Chelsea and Arsenal finish outside it, and they both then meet in the Europa League final, so you'd also <laughs> have like a Champions League playoff. That would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be a really good game, wouldn't it, Dan? I must admit, I, I can imagine if you're UEFA at the moment, that's probably the final you actually want because that will be a big draw. You know, both have got great followings across the world. So I think, you know, UEFA will probably be hoping that that is the dream final. Um, and what a game that would be. I just think Chelsea would would have Arsenal's number in that one-off game and get the win to win the, to win the Cup and get that Champions League football. You do say that, but Unai Emery is Mr. Europa League, isn't he? So you can't really rule well, that either. Yeah, there is that. There is that. He's got some pedigree in this competition. Um, but the way, you know, neither side are really setting the world alight. You know, get Arsenal are getting some results, but they're not setting the world alight. And it's the same with Chelsea. Um, but I, I think the league for Chelsea, I think top four is probably just going to be beyond them now. Um, and But I can see them winning that Europa League, mate. Someone who else was a, uh, a flop at Chelsea was Mohamed Salah, although it's been a long time since he played for them. And his goal would have been very special, not only for the finish itself, but the fact that Chelsea fan video was circling earlier in the week. When it, you hit the net like that, it really doesn't get much sweeter. And to stick two um, fingers up to the uh, the crowd that are giving you stick, then it's, well, how can you top that? Yeah, perfect scenario, isn't it? I think Chelsea had that with Raheem. They just don't seem to learn their lesson, no, do they? they? You know, they give these players stick, and then they come back a week or so later and kind of get one over on them nicely. So maybe they should kind of take a little bit of a warning and just not give anyone any stick anymore. But great finish, wasn't it? A love, brilliant strike, and yeah, like as you say, he probably couldn't have believed. You know what? What a way to kind of silence those fans and just stick their. Stupid chance back down their throat. Although, if we're talking about the best of Salah, we have to talk about the worst of him, and that is the fact that he clearly dived against Chelsea, something that wasn't even brought up at half time by the, uh, the Sky panel. So, I guess a two part question here A, why does he feel the need to go to ground? And B, why did Sky simply skirt over it? I mean, conspiracy theories at the ready and all that, but surely with a, a flashpoint like that in a game where he didn't even see a goal, to gloss over that, you think, well, hang on, what's going on here? Yeah, it does seem strange, doesn't it? I mean, I know, you know, we know these players now, they will try to take every advantage and he will probably try to claim he felt a nick. Um, I'd like to see, though, that if you're running at speed and pace and, you know, these blokes are powerful, powerful guys, you know, these are not Sunday league footballers. These are proper athletes, fully fit, very strong. When you're running, even the slightest little nick is not going to be enough to bring you down. But they obviously feel that they can get some advantage and try to get that penalty. But it, it, was a, it was a terrible dive. And, yeah, I'm not really sure why this sort of thing's getting ignored because that was something at halftime that should have been discussed. And, again, I, I, for me, these are the sort of incidents that should be looked at after the game. You know, I don't really understand why we can't punish players um, for doing that kind of thing after a game because if we want to stamp this out, the only way you will stamp it out is by making someone like him 
aware that if you try it and we can clearly see you're dived in, then whether it's after the game or during the game, you will get booked or sent off or afterwards there'll be retrospective action and you'll be banned for two or three games. Because let's face it, if he was banned now for three games, then that would send Liverpool into meltdown, wouldn't it? But it would then send a clear message to him of like, don't do it again. And you'd have managers saying to players, listen, I don't want you diving because we can't risk you being out here. Um, and that's the way it's got to be done. You know, you need to have the clubs wanting to take action and speak to their own players. But you'll only get that if these players are getting banned and these clubs are suffering by not having them around. But it's yeah, very strange as to why that doesn't get brought up at half time because it was a big talking point. In terms of sort of after game discipline, you're absolutely right. But unfortunately, no one's going to be this brave to make that kind of judgment at this point of the season. Can you imagine, like say, the meltdown that would come with it if Salah missed the last two games of the season due to a simulation ban? You know, who was the player who did get the ban? Was it Umar Nias for um, Everton? But Everton, yeah, wasn't it? Now, it. I think I think the problem there is, it isn't the rule that if they got the penalty, then he can be done for diving after the game? Because yeah, I think that's what is, happened yeah, there, what, wasn't yeah. it? He got the penalty and therefore the FA were able to ban him because he gained an advantage. So they'll probably look and say, well, they didn't get a penalty. So, you know, there was no, you know, we can't really do anything because he didn't cheat and get an advantage. But... If you want to stamp something out, you, you can't take that view. It has to be the minute we can clearly see someone's diving or cheating, we'll ban you whether you gain an advantage or not. But as you say, that would be a massive call at this point of the season. And then obviously you'll have people saying, well, all the FA have done now is just, you know, take away from what should be a great title running because you've deprived us of one of the better players for the team going for it. I guess at the same time, players of that ilk or just any players you know I'm not just singling out Salah but they'll go to the ground knowing that the the punishment they might get doesn't really fit the crime does it so there's no deterrent for them not to hit the ground you know at, at worst they get a yellow card maybe a second one that gets sent off if they've you know done something before and I think James Madison fell foul of that early in the season but you know what I mean it's very it's not indicative it's, of it's worth happen. taking isn't yeah, exactly. it Dan, Absolutely. the risk is worth it isn't it the risk is worth it because yeah if I get if the worst I get is a yellow card oh well but the reward is if he gives me this penalty and it wins us this game that could be the title in the bag so yeah we had, there has to be some kind of you need to have some kind of retrospective and longer bans for players who are caught diving because it, it has to be stamped out and the only way you do that is with lengthy bans really that make players realise don't dive because if we're going to miss you for a long time then it isn't worth it well if Mo Salah was clinching a win for Liverpool a former red was earning one for City so Raheem Sterling scored two at the weekend to be honest he should have had a hat-trick after that earlier howler he sort of strokes it past the post but he certainly atoned for his error moments uh, sorry moments later with that incredible finish after a sumptuous Kevin De Bruyne pass I mean that's how you really open the scoring yeah, brilliant finish. I mean, he's had a great couple of seasons now, isn't he, in a City shirt. Um, a very frustrating player at times because, obviously, in the summer for England, I, I wasn't a big fan of how he was playing. You know, yeah, I think he was hit and miss in the summer. Um, but I tell you, when he's got a City shirt on, that, that bloke is lethal. Um, and that, as you say, that finish for that first was a real great finish and a great ball from De Bruyne. Um, didn't have to stop his run. Took it on waited, waited, 
kept his head and beautiful finish into the into the top of the net. Um, and as you say, would have been easy having missed a real sitter moments earlier to kind of have your head down a little bit and you know confidence drained. But yeah, he's he's doing really well this season, Sterling. You know, got to be up there for one of the players of the season, and he'll be someone that City are really pinning their hopes on um, for the rest of this season. And a lot of teams now will feel that you know Sterling is one of the main men that you want to try and keep quiet. Yeah, because with City, I mean, they've got so many options. It was always a case of, you know, like Sterling or Sane, and then you had sort of Myers into the mix as well. But now Sterling, you'd like to think, well, you know, from what we've seen, he's really solidified a first-team place. He's almost one of the first names on that City team sheet now. Yeah, I would have thought so. You know, the way he's played, you know, his first year or so under City, you would have thought he could have been one of them that's heavily rotated. But right now, I would have thought Pep would not dare leave him out of his starting lineup because he is so lethal. Um, he, you know, he's on fire. You know, the guy's scoring goals for fun. Um, so I would have thought Pep, when he's putting that team sheet together, there's a, the first name on it is Sterling's at the moment because he is so vital to what they're doing. I think City looked good value for their win and obviously that's just the result they needed, not just for the title race, but also, I guess, to restore some wounded pride after that defeat to Tottenham in the Champions Week, sorry, Champions League earlier in the week. Yeah, City were um, quieter than they we would have expected them to be in the Champions League. You know, Spurs marshalled them really well at the back and kept them chances to a minimum. Um, and when that game started at Palace, you know, Palace are one of those sides you kind of think can make life difficult for you. Um, and obviously, they've had some decent results against City in the past. But to be honest, it was just one-way traffic really throughout the whole game and it was just City keeping it, trying to work some space and chances um, and it was kind of almost just that on a repeat for 90 minutes um, and you kind of always thought City would break them down um, and in the end it turned out to be more comfortable than people might have thought. You know, the last goal, you know, goal near the death for Palace for all. Oh, could this remind you of the Liverpool game a few seasons ago where they nick a draw, but City just kind of picked up the pace again, get the third, and then it's just comfortable. And they deserved that win. They were a much better team on the day. Yeah, because when um, Luka Milivojevic scored, you thought there could be another goal in this game, but obviously it went to City. And I think when you can call on Gabriel Jesus to sort of get you over the line. It's not a bad position to be in, is it? Yeah, that that's a great thing with City squad, isn't it? They they've got players on the bench that you know, we'd get in most teams first eleven, let alone City's side. So when you can look to your bench and you've got players like Mares and Jesus on the bench, then you know, you're in a pretty good place because they are players that can come on and be just as lethal as the player that's gone off. And if you're a defender, the last thing you want to see is players like that warming up because you're tired anyway. And then you see these fresh legs of that sort of quality coming on. So City's squad is is there to be, you know, admired and a lot of teams would love half of their bench and their reserves, let alone the first team. You mentioned Mahrez, actually. It raises a good point. I mean, do you think he's always going to be just a bit plot uh, player at City now? Because for the money they spent for him, he's not really sort of been, you know, first team all season. It's sort of a lot of sub-appearances, the odd fleeting start here and there. So is that just the role that he's now prepared to play? Because it's, you know, for one of the best clubs in the country. I know he's won one Premier League title. He's very close to winning another. But... Has he got his own sort of personal desire to want to play more first-team football or is this someone who's just happy to collect a wage? Well, yeah, I kind of would have, you know, if I was him, I don't think City would have was really the ideal team for him. Um, if you're looking football-wise, because 
I think he's a player that needs to be kind of the star, one of the star men in the team to get the best out of him. Um, and it was always going to be the way that when he went to City, he was never going to be a regular starter and was going to be used in squad rotation. But as you say, if you're him, he's probably sitting there thinking, well, I've maybe only got two more moves left in me and not that long. So I go to City, I'll pick up a nice big wage, I'll pick up some trophies and some league titles again, and then and at that point, he might move on to you know foreign shores and see the rest of his career out abroad somewhere. But he was never going to be a regular starter there. Um, and I just kind of feel that he was sort of wasted his talents a little bit because he deserves to be in the starting lineup for a team and kind of on show week in, week out. Um, and that you could maybe say, well, where was his desire to say, well, I'm not going somewhere just to be a bit part. I want to be a key player somewhere else. And he could have moved to you know, bigger sides, maybe, you know, something like an Arsenal or even the Spurs would have been a great move for Mares, where he would have got, you know, week in, week out football. But it was always going to be the way going to City. But I guess he wanted that move. And let's face it, he probably knew he'd win titles and get a big wage. So that's obviously where his, his mind was at and what he wanted. Yes, nice work if you can get it. Let's put it like that. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I wouldn't grumble either. <laughs> absolutely not. So Tottenham got the better of Huddersfield, something that me, Cole and a couple of others have discussed on Monday night. So if you want to know more about that, check out the eSpurs podcast after you've listened to this one, obviously. Um, where should we go next? Old Trafford, Manchester United. They needed two penalties to get the better of West Ham, who on another day could have well got something out of their trip to Old Trafford. So of those penalties, what did you make of them? And also, should Felipe Anderson's goal in the first half have stood? Yeah, West Ham will be really disappointed because that was a great performance at the weekend and they'll kind of come away feeling like they've been done a little bit because I think if we go to the penalties, the first one was never a penalty. Um, I'm not really sure how that, you know, how the ref, what he sees to make him give a penalty there. Um, but to me, that was very, very soft. The second one, there's no arguing with the second one. You know, that's a stonewall penalty. Um, so, yeah, we can't argue with the second. But for West Ham... The first goal they scored, you know, Anderson's goal, to me, that looked a good goal, was onside. You know, you had a defender where he was level, um, so they'll feel aggrieved there. And then, obviously, the penalty, they'll feel even more aggrieved. But they, you know, great performance from them, and they were really unlucky not to get something out of that game, because for me, they were the better side. Um, But just goes to show, when when your luck's in, your luck's in. I mean, that win has put United back on track after some indifferent form across all competitions. But even when your manager is saying that you're not the better team that afternoon, does this suggest that they've hit something of a brick wall at the wrong time? You know, they've had an incredible run of form before this last, I don't know, month, should we say. And now the wheels, you know, if Ole's at the wheel, we're just seeing some signs of wear and tear at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, when he came in, to get them in the position he has was amazing, wasn't it? Because they were dead and buried in that top four race. So he came in. They got that initial new manager pickup, and I'll tell you now, that was some pickup because to get them even in that top four race was was a massive achievement. And you do kind of just feel that maybe now the quality is just starting to show. You know, I don't think United's biggest problem is that at, at the back for them defensively. You know, just don't think Smalling, Jones, and their fullbacks are enough quality that they need to push them over the line against bigger sides. Um, and I think, you know, that will be the main area that 
you know, Solskjaer will need to address in the summer for me. Attacking a midfield, I don't think, needs too much work. But defensively, they need a lot of work. And I think that's where they're starting to get found out now. You know, teams are getting at them a little too easily. Um, and they may just run out of steam at the wrong time because I think now, you know, they've got the Champions League this week. You can't see them getting a result um, at the new camp against Barcelona. Um, and then, yeah, I, I just think the games, you know, they may have had that pick up, but I think they'll just start running out of steam towards the end of the season. Um, but they'll to even be in it was a great achievement for them. But now, it, you know, they, they will want to hope that they can build on what Oli started and it'll be a big summer for them. But I think defensively, they need a lot of work because that's where I do believe teams are finding them out now. Because they'll be looking at the race of the top four and they know now that Spurs and Arsenal are going to have to drop points for them to make up ground. So I guess from a Spurs point of view, the last thing you want is for us as Spurs to lose to City and then United to beat City because then that would really throw things wide open, wouldn't it? I mean, I'm just trying to work out all the possible combinations. This part of the season is really stressful, but you wouldn't want it any other way, would you? No, that's right. As you say, I think all of those teams now fighting for top four, no, they can't afford to drop points because any slip-up allows the opposition in. Um, and let's face it, those top four now, it's very rare that they do drop points. You know, there has to be, you know, most of those teams win their games home and away. Um, but yeah, it, it's real interesting because it is nerves. You need nerves are still right now because you do know you go into any game and even a draw or kind of can you know hit you really hard you need to pick up those three points so the amount of pressure on those teams when they enter that pitch for each game is is up there um and that must also take it out of you slightly as well because you know any mistake and you could be talking about costing your team top four the race for seventh place is looking quite interesting, actually, and it almost looks like one that no one wants to win because Leicester would have feared the worst on Friday when they surprisingly lost to Newcastle at home. And then, you know, obviously everyone else follows later in the weekend. However, their three nearest rivals all lost. So that's, you know, it's pick, a t- pick a team, really. It's quite hard to, to pick at the moment. Obviously, Wolves and Watford have got a game in hand, but their form's looking a little bit indifferent. So uh, sometimes it's points on the board. How do you see this one panning out? Yeah, um, as you say, all of a sudden you have Everton go to Fulham and get turned over where you couldn't have seen that. The way Everton had been playing lately, you thought they'd get a comfortable victory there. Um, So that was a real disappointing. I kind of felt Watford last night against Arsenal. You would have bet on Watford to possibly win that with Arsenal's away form and then they drop points. Wolves seem to drop points at really bad times just when you think they're, you know, they're getting their run going and consistency. They then lose to someone that you wouldn't have them down to losing that so as you say none of them teams can really find that consistency that if they string three or so results together you'd think would cement them in that place I think it's going to be a real interesting fight but one that I possibly see Wolves coming out on top of I was going to mention Wolves actually because they've won just two in six in the league and then you think also that cup defeat and the way they lost in the cup well, they certainly have been deflated on Saturday. I mean, the result made it pretty evident that they were. But I think it was always going to be a difficult task for, for Nuno to pick up his players after, you know, having more than one foot in the final and then to sort of not be in the final. It must have been a quite a, a sort of challenge to go, right, now we've got to go to Southampton and get a result. Yeah, well, I, I, I kind of felt for Wolves because I think that, um, that defeat in the cup will really have hurt them and really have knocked them, I think. You know, they should have been comfortably winning that um, semi-final in the end. So I think that will really 
absolutely knock them. Um, and I, maybe that might have an effect on them now for the rest of the season because they've done really well. I guess the question could be, will they just run out of steam a little bit now? And a big big loss in that semi-final could be something that, that drains the whole squad more than it would have, more than it could have done. Um, I think they'll just need to try and pick it up. Um, they've been brilliant this year. So for them, it's about building in the summer. And if they do the right things in the summer and get the right players, then they could come back even stronger and even look to start challenging that top four, to be honest. Um, but I, I think now the one thing they'll hope is that the players don't put their heads in, you know, their minds on the beach already and just think, well, we had a good push but that semi-final's really done us. Um, they, they'll want to try and pick it up and just make sure they finish strong. Um, but like I say, I still see them causing a few problems, and I think they will be the team that could upset the title race. And Everton, talk about inconsistency. It raises its ugly head again because, you know, they won three in a row. They go to Fulham, they've lost nine in a row. They must be thinking, yep, win this one. We're really in the race for top seven, aren't we? Then yeah, they just... <laughs> <awful."> they just... <laughs> They just can't stay consistent, no. can they? You know, they stick two good performances together and you think, oh, right, you know, it's there, they're, they're getting it together and then they go and put a performance like that in where they were, as you say, Dan, they were absolutely awful against Fulham and on another day, Fulham could have had more. Um, but you, you can't work that out because it just goes against everything where you're like, you've just done really well and you've put some great performances in and then you go and turn that sort of performance. And that's probably been what's really let Everton down this season is consistency. You know, if they could have been consistent and just like, you know, three or four wins, then a draw, then maybe one defeat, then another three or four wins on the bounce, they would have sealed that kind of seventh place and, and be comfortable. But a real hit and miss season where there's still quite a bit of work to be done there for Silver in the summer, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, before Fulham, they beat um, Chelsea, West Ham, Arsenal... Beat West Ham away from home, so two good home wins, a good away win, and like I say, it was almost a banker. You'd, th- you'd be going to Craven Cottage, rubbing your hands together, thinking, we're in this, and we're in the driving seat, and we hopefully get European football next season. And it's just like, well, how on earth has that happened? And you're right, it's just like, that. I think that game has just summed up Everton's season, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's probably an accumulator breaker on oh, the weekend. Absolutely, yeah. Not many would have had Fulham down as getting a result there. And say, the way Fulham have been playing, the way Everton are playing. But Everton just didn't show up at all. I mean, I was actually surprised at how bad they were. But that's been their problem all season. And one that, you know, Silver will have to look at what's maybe caused that. Um, slight drop in consistency, see if they can work on it in the summer. Because they've got the bases there. They've got some of the good players. So they've got a squad that can do better than they are. Um, so maybe they'll just need some couple of recruits in the summer to get them over the line. Now, Bournemouth, they finally woke from their slumber. A win that doesn't really change anything in the grand scheme of things, what with their league placing and all that. You know, the season's already done. But at least Eddie Howe knows that his players are capable of turning in performance between now and the end of the season. And what a performance! Yeah, that was a great, great win for Bournemouth, wasn't it? They they really were on the beach, to be honest, weren't they? They were a team that kind of, you kind of thought, wow, yeah, massive drop, got themselves up there at the start of the season, having a good start, and then all of a sudden just falling away massively and couldn't get a win for love nor money. Uh, but that was a great win, um, and one that they fully deserved, and Eddie will just have to hope that that can kind of spur them on to finish the season strong and win more games because, you know, that, that, 
they don't want to be a side that suddenly just take their foot off the gas. They can't afford to do that. Um, and they really had. So they'll hope that that win kind of sparks them back to putting a good strong end of the season together and then again for them it's about building in the summer isn't it with what they can and their resources and trying you know on a small budget look to keep themselves up there and mid-table and developing each season now from a pure neutral point of view i'd like cardiff to beat brighton tonight just to keep that relegation drama alive however their plight could have been helped on saturday when they went to burnley so what is it about mike dean turf Moore, and dodgy decisions Full of, uh, sorry, unfortunately for Cardiff, they've been on the end of some real Stinkers. tough decisions <laughs> lately, haven't they? I mean, Warnock must be wondering what is going on because there's some of the decisions that have gone against them lately are, are scandalous. Um, and again, it was the same at the weekend, you know. I, I was a little bit surprised that Deitch wasn't a little bit more sympathetic towards Cardiff, given that, you know, some of the stuff he's moaned about over the course of the season. Um, but just, um, you know, when it's not going for you, it's not going for you. Um, and again, you know, they're on the end of bad refing decision yet again. Um, and unfortunately, when you're down that half of the table, that seems to be the thing that keeps ha- happening to you. Um, but poor old Warnock, he must be scratching his head, wondering what he's got to do to get something from an official. And uh, I think we'll finally finish with a um, something outside the Premier League. Joey Barton beating up a rival manager. What do you make of that one? <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know, what can you say allegedly, about Joey Allegedly, Barton? I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get sued. Well, but yes, ale- allegedly. True. With a Unfortunately, he's got previous, hasn't yes. he? So he's never far from the headlines, um, unfortunately. But... He gets himself in these positions and you just have to question it. You know, we've seen enough in his past to realise why he's in these positions. He's not an angel um, and he's probably happened again. Uh, you just wonder how many chances someone like him gets in football before people say, I've had it, we've had enough of you. Um, but it's just mad, isn't it? I don't really understand why he gets himself in these positions to even have the accusation of this against him. But he's just a hothead, unfortunately, who... He likes to try and come across as Mr. Calm and sophisticated and a great thinker. But I don't think, unfortunately, when when it's, when it's the fire is going, he just can't control himself and gets involved in stuff he shouldn't. Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's about it, to be honest. I think we've uh, whizzed for everything, but I think we've covered everything at the same time. I don't think we've really missed too much. We could talk about, I don't know, Newcastle almost staying up, Southampton almost staying up. We'll talk about them when they actually do stay up. They're not over the line just yet. But I think, you know, credit to them. They nearly got the job done. And also credit to uh, to Ralph and uh, Rafa. I think they've done good jobs. And whether they're backed in the summer, we'll have to wait and see. So, Carl, it's been, I don't know, only about 40 minutes. Chopped a bit of time off. But we're efficient today and there's nothing wrong with that. So thanks for your time, mate. No, I really, really enjoyed it, mate. Perfect. Um, I think, I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week. It's bank holiday week. It bugs up all my plans. Um, there will be an episode. I don't know when. So hang your hat on that. And it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is a real football cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.